Turn to the book of Malachi, where we have been uh, in a good part of the summer, and today we read chapter 3, verse 6 through verse 18. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven And pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not cast their their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said... It is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. The Lord, who does not change, says if Israel returns to him, then he will return to them. And when they ask how they are to return, the Lord says, well, there are two ways. By not robbing me and by ending your cynicism. You know, I think this is a fascinating passage uh, to come to in these economic times. We're being told that we are now going into another economic recession, the second one in in about three years. Our nation, other nations are in financial straits. There's deep anxiety about our wealth, how much we are going to have in the next months and the years to come. A lot of talk going on about economic crisis. Recently, we were on vacation down in Southern California, and I had the opportunity to read the L.A. Times and the Wall Street Journal every day, two major newspapers in this nation. And uh, both, a few weeks ago, had lots and lots of coverage about the financial world. So every day I was reading about these headlines, how bad things were and how bad things could get. 
And you know, when we hear economic crisis, people can react by holding tightly to what they have, even hoarding in fear as much as they can get. But sometimes I think our heads and our faith are influenced too much by the headlines. And we as people of the Lord Jesus Christ need to pay attention to the Scriptures and to the God who does not change and who speaks an enduring word. One of the articles I read was about um, people, how, how they were coping with these tough economic times. And one man talked about how he was going to have to cut back now on his cable television. Man, why didn't you tell me it was that bad? I had no idea. Now, I'm not saying that there are not people who are hurting. There are. But I hope a measure of tough economic times isn't how many channels I can get on my cable TV. You know what I mean? Um, You know, what do we do with our wealth? Um, What's the place of wealth in our lives? And who does it really belong to? There's a story about a man who had a heart attack. He was rushed to the hospital, very, very fragile. He wasn't to have too much company, not many visitors. He wasn't to talk very uh, much. But while in the hospital, a rich uncle died, left him $2 million. And the family said, we've got to tell him this, but we don't know how. And they called their pastor and they said, you know, maybe you can, you're a gentle man. Maybe you can have a gentle touch and just go tell him what's happened and, and, and break the news to him. So the pastor went to the hospital and he went into the room very gently, very quietly. And he just talked briefly to the man whose eyes were closed. He was resting. And then he said, you know, to the man, you know, what would you do in the course of the conversation? What would you do if you inherited two million dollars? The man with his eyes closed said, he said, I would I think I'd give half of it to the church. And with that, the pastor had a heart attack and he just died right there. And that was it. (laughs) Try me. Just try me. I have a friend who's a pastor up in the state of Washington. I just saw him uh, at a gathering of pastors uh, two days ago, and uh, he's in a very wealthy church. I mean, some of the people, many of the people in his church are CEOs of some of the top corporations in the United States of America. They have multiple homes. They drive incredible cars, and and their lifestyle is high. And he was sharing with me, he's an associate pastor, the struggle they have in that church to fund the ministry and to do the ministry that really God has called them to do. And I said, how can that be? You have all these people that are so wealthy. And he says, you know, they've just never, we have never talked about money in this church. And people have never been confronted with the fact that when you're a follower of Jesus, there's a claim on your wealth. It's not just all yours. Israel can return to the Lord if they stop robbing him and Then the people question God. They put him on trial and they say, well, how are we robbing you? Robbing the Lord, robbing the Lord. Think about that. Is it possible to rob, steal from the Lord? How does that happen? To rob assumes Something is taken that doesn't belong to us. Uh, To rob assumes something has been taken that hasn't been authorized. That has not been approved. Robbing is a type of violence. And Malachi says, the people are robbing God. 
That must mean that what they had was not theirs. It must mean if it's possible to rob God, then what we have must not be ours. Oh, yeah, my name's on the check. Yes, my name is on the bank account. But who gave us the life? Who gave us the health? Who gave us the opportunities? Who gave us the gifts to have those things? In churches, we sometimes talk about stewardship, the word stewardship. And this means merely recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God, that we don't own it, that God has given it to us to be used, not for selfish purposes, but for his purposes, and that we are to be generous in our giving towards the purposes of God. Stewardship means it's not mine, but God's. And he gives it to me in such a way to manage it to his honor and glory. Now, that's a radically different and countercultural way of thinking about wealth and possessions compared to the dominant American mindset that says, it's yours. Get as much as you can, as fast as you can, because you deserve it and spend it however you like. Maybe the stewardship challengers, uh, excuse me, maybe the stewardship challenge for followers of Jesus in our day isn't so much to give more as to hang on to less. Maybe the stewardship challenge isn't to give more, it's to hang on to less, to rob God of less. If, as Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him. If that's true, then what doesn't belong to him? When we acknowledge God's role, when we acknowledge his role in the acquisition of what we have, you know what? We relax our tightness on our hold on what we have. Generosity fights a self-centered attitude toward wealth because we recognize the blessing and the provision is of God and that he's the one who's given it to us to begin with. God says the people are robbing him because they aren't bringing the full tithes and offerings. It wasn't that they weren't bringing any. It was that they weren't bringing Everything they were possibly they possibly could. They were only bringing part of what they could offer God. They were holding back quite a bit for themselves. Boy, let's always give full to the full what we can give to the Lord in our financial offerings. The tithes and the offerings were needed in Malachi's day to support the work of the temple. The tithes and the offerings supported and fed the priests who were there leading the worship and who were doing the sacrifices all day. Uh, they taught the word to the people. The portion of the offering, a portion was given to the weak and to the needy and to the poor in the community. You know, God is always about generosity. Here is one thing he says about giving to the poor. It comes from Deuteronomy. He says, give generously to the poor and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Be open-handed toward those of your people who are poor and needy in your land. Here's what the Lord says about our attitude in giving. It was up just a minute ago when we received the offering. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus said, you know, we shouldn't be worried about what we eat. We shouldn't be worried about what we're going to wear. And thus, being free of worry... We don't have to hold on to everything tightly and we can give open handedly 
be generous with others. The psalmist said he has seen the righteous and they are never forsaken. Their children are never found begging. They are always generous. They're always lending to other people. You know, I think generous giving really comes down in our offerings to trust. Trust. Trust in the Lord who we are to love with all our lives and be in daily relationship with. And trust that, you know what, he's not going to abandon us and he's always going to care for us. I've been uh, just feeding on the words of Elizabeth Actemeyer, the late Bible scholar, as I've been going through Malachi and using her commentary. One of the things she said is this. She said, the motive power that overcomes all our selfish and miserly tendencies is trust in our God of love. And the Lord challenges his people. He says, bring that whole tithe into the storehouse so that the needs of my house are going to be provided for. And part of the challenge is for them to see how God will abundantly rain down on them more than enough of what they need. I mean, isn't that the rub in our giving? Anytime we give, isn't that the rub? Isn't there a deep down fear that, you know, what? we're not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough for what I want to do and what I think I need. Another word from Elizabeth Actemar. We have to trust that his love pours out with it more provision for all our needs. Note, not once, but our needs than we could ever imagine. There was a man once who was asked how he could be giving so much to the Lord's work, which he did, and yet be so wealthy at the same time. This is what he said. Well, he said, I guess as I shovel it out, the Lord shovels it in and the Lord just has a bigger shovel than I do. Isn't it amazing sometimes when we just think, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to give and we do it and we give generously. Isn't it amazing how we find ourselves we're not doing without stuff seems to come back in and sometimes we don't know how. Test me in this is what God says. You can read it there in your Bibles. Test me. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and I won't pour out blessing. And you won't be able to contain it all. Well, when does the Lord ever say something like that? I'd take him up on it. And it doesn't mean that the Lord is a giant Coke machine where we put in a few coins and then he just spits out whatever we want. And we really have to beware of uh, what's called blessing theology. Sometimes it's, it's going around today. This thinking that God only exists to bless us and that if we're generous to God, then we'll be driving around fancy sports cars and we'll have a condo up at the resort and we'll have bulging closets. We merely give to get. You can see it on TV. You can get a lot of TV programs that will give you that kind of theology. You know, true story. There was a man in Dade County, Florida, some years ago who sued his church for the return of the money which he had contributed to his church. This was his case. He said uh, in court, the man said he gave $8,000 to his church in response to his pastor's uh, promise that blessings and um, benefits and rewards would come to anyone who give 10% of their income to the Lord. And the man argued he had not received these benefits. Our giving can't be self-centered. But the Lord, let me tell you, the Lord does bless. He provides. He says that he is able to pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough 
room for it. Boy, what a staggering thought. And can I just say this? This has become true for us. The words of Malachi have become true. Because we have built and are building bigger and bigger houses for all that we have. And we have so much money that we have portfolio managers and financial consultants to help us manage it. And there are places and there are businesses that their whole focus is storage. Where we can put more and more stuff. And we have more leisure and more time. And now we have something called time management. Well, I I have time management because I'm so busy. Yeah, we're busy because of all the things we can do because we have so much. We don't have room for it all. Well, I feel like a blessed man. You know what? The Lord has not shortchanged me on one thing. And I believe, and this may shock some of you, you may want to take me on, but I believe that many of us have what we have because we've been faithful in our giving. And the promise of Malachi has been made good. Now, on the one hand, you see, this passage in Malachi is a challenge for those who have not given all that we can and all that we should to the Lord. But on the other hand, it should be an affirmation to many of us who have been faithful in our giving over many years that indeed God has opened the windows and he's. Has God not been good to us? Take stock of just what you have in your life. In the Old Testament, 10% was the kind of the number that, that was given to tell people how much they are to give. And in the New Testament, you know what? There's no number. The theology of giving is consistent throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Same, same thing. And it's that we are to give to those to support the work of the Lord, support the house of the Lord, help those who are poor. And, you know, we can do the things we can in this church, our youth, our children, the programs we do because we give. But the New Testament rule for giving might be this. It might be said to be this. Now, listen, the New Testament rule, I think, is generosity stimulated out of love and gratitude. Generosity that's stimulated out of love and gratitude. Here's a little parable. Once there was a man who said, if I had some extra money, if I'd give it to God, but I just have enough to support myself, to support my family. Then the man, same man said, you know, if I had some extra time, I'd give it to God. But every minute is taken up by my job, by my family, by the clubs I'm a part of. Every single minute. And the same man said, you know, boy, if I had talent and ability, oh, I'd give it to God. But I don't have a great voice. I don't have any special skill. I've never been able to uh, lead a group. I've never really been quick, clever that way. And God was touched. And God heard this man. And he gave that man money. And he gave that man time. And he gave that man abilities. And then the Lord waited. And he waited. And he waited. And finally, the Lord shrugged his shoulders. 
And he took back all the things that he had given to that man. And after a while, the man sighed and he said, you know, if I'd only had some of that money back, I'd give it to God. If I only had some of that time, boy, I'd give it to God. And if I could only rediscover the glorious talent I used to have, I'd give it to God. And God said, oh, knock it off. And the man said to some of his friends, you know, I'm not so sure that I believe in God anymore. You see, giving involves trust. And trust puts us in relationship to the Lord. And that is how we experience God. So when we don't give, we don't trust, we don't experience God, and how easy it is then to become cynical. Israel was robbing the Lord, not giving them all they really could have given out of what he had given to them in the first place to be generous with. They weren't trusting, and therefore they were moving farther and farther from the Lord, not experiencing him, and they had become cynical. And that cynicism was the second thing the Lord said that they needed to change in order to return to him. They were saying it's futile to serve God. Why? What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. Even those who challenge God escape. What do we even get out of it, they said? What difference does it make to be faithful to God? And I have heard many people, I hear people all the time who said, you know, God hasn't met my expectations. He hasn't fulfilled their agenda. And they become cynical. And whatever faith they had either disappears, shrivels up, or just becomes very, very hard. Cynicism is the opposite of faith, hope, and love. And when we expect the Lord to serve us instead of understanding that He is the Lord and we are to serve Him, cynicism sets in. And cynicism is a spiritual killer. Cynicism destroys faith. But if we recognize and we account for the fact, you know what, it's a sinful, broken world and not everything is perfect and not everything is going to go my way. And then we can acknowledge that in spite of the brokenness around us, that God is still a God of love and he is gracious to us. We don't have to be cynical. We can serve the Lord. We can honor him. We can be generous. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the prophets and I read passages like this and they can sound so harsh, so just kind of in your face. But I want to point out in these words, there is a lot of grace. There's a lot of grace in the words of Malachi. Remember at the very beginning of the book of Malachi, the Lord says to the people, I have loved you and I love you still. And just that the Lord sends, sent his prophets and, and his preachers and teaches them to confront us and bring us back to him, that's grace. Because what God really wants is for us to find him and for him to find us and for us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be, as he says in verse 17, his treasured possession. And that's why Jesus Christ came, to seek out and to save the lost so that we could return to him, to return to him. So let me close this message with a story uh, out of the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. You might remember it about a little guy named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector, who was a cheat. And he stole from God and he stole from people. Because when you steal from people, you steal from God. And he was also short. 
And one day when Jesus was coming through the town and everybody wanted to see him, Zacchaeus couldn't see. So he climbed up a tree and Jesus spotted him. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today for dinner. So come down and get ready. And Zacchaeus was thrilled that he was noticed by God, by, by the Lord Jesus, and that he was coming to his house. And somewhere, somehow, in the course of that meal, we are not told That cheat, that tax collector, Zacchaeus, realizes that he has been robbing God. And he promises to give back the full tithes and offerings by returning what he stole. He will give half of his possessions to the poor. He's going to repay fourfold what he stole from others. He returns to the Lord. And this is what Jesus says to him. Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, And I don't know how you've been living, whether you've been far from the Lord or whether you've been close to him. I don't know whether you've been giving what you really can to the Lord with no rationalizations and you've brought the full offerings or whether you've been really giving less than you are able. But Zacchaeus got the message and Zacchaeus was done robbing God and now he was living for God. And I don't know whether you've been living in trust or in cynicism towards the Lord. But today, may God's salvation come to your house and to your life. Return to him. Well, even if you're just a few steps away, certainly if you're many steps away, if you've taken some large steps, retrace your steps and return. Because it's possible. Because he's searching for you. He's searching for us. He is searching for all of us, and he wants to be found by us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you want us back. You're always calling us to return to you. May we never leave anything that should be given to you, not given. May we not rob you. May we not be cynical. Save us from those things. That we may be your people and honor you and experience you and walk in trust with you. For we pray it in your great name, the God who gave himself to us in every way, the name of Jesus. And all who agreed with this prayer said, Amen.